party people. Welcome once again to the Party of One podcast, the actual play RPG podcast where the gaming table is always set for two. I am your host as always, Jeff Stormer. This week on the show, I am joined by Bill Sunderland from Escape This Podcast for a game of Bleak Spirit. Bleak Spirit, inspired by games like Dark Souls and Bloodborne, seeks to tell stories of grim, melancholy travelers coming into conflict with great, powerful, and often deadly beasts. Adversaries, if you will. Taking some mechanical cues from Lovecraft-esque, players hand back and forth GMing responsibilities, telling a story and slowly unraveling this mysterious place full of mysterious people all through the eyes of this wandering traveler who is on a collision course with their fated ultimate adversary. It is extremely cool. I am super into it. I had such a blast playing it. I can't wait for you to hear it. Bleak Spirit is currently on Kickstarter. I think you should go back it immediately. Help make it happen. It looks like a super cool game. I played it. I loved it. I really hope that you'll go make it happen. You can find links to the Bleak Spirit Kickstarter in the show notes. Escape This Podcast is a podcast about escape rooms. Every episode, hosts Bill and Danny guide their crew through a custom-made audio text-based escape room. Uh, If you love text-based adventure games or escape rooms, actual play, it is a very cool podcast that I genuinely like and I think you should check out. You can find more information about Escape This Podcast as well in the show notes. Well, two things real quick before we dive in. First, a special thank you to Dragon Raygun, our newest backer on Patreon. I really appreciate your support in helping make the show as well as the games that I design and all the community stuff that I do happen. Thank you so much. I genuinely very much appreciate it. And secondly, a reminder to all of our lovely listeners to head to Tattooed Moms on July the 20th as part of the Philadelphia Podcast Festival. Party of One will be putting on a live show at 5.30 p.m. on July 20th at Tattooed Moms in the greatest city in the world, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. I could not be more excited. It's going to be great. And I hope to see you there. And with all that said, let's throw it over to me in the past so that he can get started with the show. Take it past me. Thanks, future me. This week, I am sitting down with Bill Sunderland. Bill, thank you so much for coming on Party of One. Thank you for having me. So, real quick, at the top of the show, why don't you take a moment and let the lovely listeners at home know about any projects that you've got going on you might want them to know about. All right, so first of all, all of you non-lovely listeners, close your ears. I'm not talking to you. Uh, for the lovely listeners at home... All of uh, our I'm- listeners are lovely, so that's not a, that's not a thing we need to worry about. <laughs> well, you never know. Um, that's fair. For, fair point. Uh, for, for, for everyone at home, uh, I'm from Escape This Podcast. Uh, now, you may have already had the episode with Danny uh, on, and she ran you through one of our games... Um, I'm assuming they'll come out in that order. Uh, but I believe so, at, yes. Well, then for people who've listened to that, you'll have an idea of what the show is. For people who haven't, Escape This Podcast is a show where we make audio-only sort of TTRPG-style versions of escape rooms. We design a new escape room every episode, and we have guests play through the room, solve all the puzzles, and get out. There's, there's either a self-contained story throughout that entire room, or it's part of a longer, like, 10-room arc, which uh, we would have uh, finished recently. We had a 10-room arc of Descent of the Culladans, which was a kind of ghost house, Luigi's Mansion-esque sort of uh, series of escape rooms. Uh, yeah, and we, and we, we run that, um, and that's gone very well. We've been doing that for about two years now, which is pretty fun. Uh, I, I mean, I loved playing the escape room that you, that, that Danny ran me through. It was an mm. absolute delight. I can't recommend listeners go and enjoy Escape This Podcast enough because I know I had a blast with the escape room. And so I can't I can't recommend it enough. 
Mm. And that was uh, that was uh, part of our that was uh, from our first season. That was our tenth episode. Mm-hmm. That room. So if people want to want to contrast and to judge Jeff's puzzle solving ability, you can go back and listen to the original recording of that room, and uh, see who did it better. Fair point. <laughs> it's worth noting I was alone though. For so anybody that tries to come in and judge, I was by the, myself. The I other want people that who ran that room were. In a group of four, and they run an escape room podcast. So maybe they had the yeah. edge. <laughs> I, I, I'm see that. I want that. I wanted that. I wanted that put up front before people judge. Anyway, let's dive into our game. This yes. week we are playing Bleak Spirit by Chris Longhurst, currently on uh, Kickstarter. It is a game that is built on the framework of Lovecraft esque by Becky Aniston, by Becky Aniston and Josh Fox, which is a game that uh, listeners will hear as well in the very near future. It is a game that I really enjoy. This is a game inspired by games like Dark Souls and Bloodborne. It is very kind of like gothic, dark, melancholy fantasy. Basically, the premise of the game is a lone traveler has wandered into a gloomy, desolate, lonely, but beautiful space, which is sort of watched over by an adversary, someone massive and powerful and deadly. And that wanderer is going to come in and they are destined to bring down this adversary, but at what cost? That's kind of the big picture story that we're telling today. The way that the game is going to work is there's going to be a number of scenes. Uh, we will hand off sort of who is playing our wanderer. There's one wanderer. We will hand switch off who is playing this wanderer and who is playing the world around them. As we do this, we will make notes about what we think the adversary is, what we think their sort of destiny is, how we envision them, the, the, the adversary and the wanderer, you know, being related until we finally come to that final confrontation. Some principles to cover before we dive in. Uh, we are going to discuss nothing after a setup, after our setup phase. What we do is just, is through the actions of the Wanderer and the lore they find in the world. Uh, the other, the other really big note for us is we don't describe their internal monologue. We don't, we don't say, I'm angry, I'm thinking this, we just play through it, we describe how the Wanderer reacts, and then we leap to conclusions. We also don't explain things concretely, we sort of give them... A, you know, lore around it, and that will tell us sort of the, that'll allow us to interpret things. And then slowly, as we, we as we become more and more confident in our conclusions, it'll shape the story in a more concrete way. Does that make sense? Oh yes. All right. So the the last thing. Uh, so now we kind of get into our setup phase um, to make sure we're all in good in a, in, a, in the same place. Uh, so we've we've kind of agreed on the general premise of the game. Uh, is there anything you would like to kind of tweak to sort of lean towards uh, within that sort of thing? Either uh, a, a clearer print picture of the world, a less powerful wanderer, sort of more heroism, more levity. What's uh, how are you feeling about kind of the setting and tone of the game? No, I think it'll be. I think it'll be fine. I think more levity will just ha- sort of happen naturally, right? It's hard to get two people. I think that's. Uh, I think that's to be serious. Yeah, I think. I think we'll kind of rip off of it. A bit. Yeah, exactly. I think we're we'll not going to go crazy. You're not going to be walking into a room in a in a grand old temple and have someone pop out and be like, "Well, hello, wanderer. How are you? Would you like to come and sit down? We have a whole mess of things to do." Uh, maybe that's a bit too. Oh, actually, now no, I like that character. I'm keeping him in. I'm I mean, that. I mean, uh, yeah, I was about to say. I don't feel like I feel like I love I love that 
That's a classic. That's a classic character bit. So I'm all in. But no, I agree. There's going to be a little bit of levity. I'll probably also kind of pepper in a little bit more heroism than sort of the Dark Souls bleak tradition of it, just on terms mm. of like how I play characters. But I yes. think we're kind of I feel like otherwise I'm in a pretty good place. Yes, I think that's that's fair. I actually recently just finished Dark Souls 3 for the first time. And uh, and I'm oh, now well, playing perfect. through Dark Souls 1 again uh, with Danny. Uh, it's who's never played Dark Souls. So I'm in the right headspace, maybe. Yeah, I feel like I feel like then I feel like you've got the exact grounding that you need. I have actually <laughs> never played a Dark Souls, though I've watched Dark Souls games be be played <laughs> and i have heard people argue about dark souls which i believe is the true dark souls experience oh yes i mean classic okay. dark souls is just like and he's the high prince the high prince of what i don't get out of here there's no answer to those questions yeah it just doesn't matter but he's, You're the, dead he's now. the grand You're dead high now. prince you died. <laughs> so yeah that's it okay hello i'm the grand high prince <laughs> welcome so, to my temple all right <clears throat> so um we've we've established the tone we have the general structure um do we want let's talk let's kind of picture or talk through how we consider uh the nature of our wanderer story is this someone passing through who will survive and just kind of they'll move on to another place is this the climax of their story where you know they reach the end and it is the end of their story for one way or another uh, are is this sort of the ultimate finale of their story? What 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 are you kind of what what kind of end game do you picture here? Let's kind of establish that up front. So, I think part of this, like the the whole the concept of the passing through wanderer, this is one of many kind of tests on their journey. I think is built more to to a regular session, right? You'll play it every every couple of weeks for a while until this wanderer's mm-hmm. quest is finished. So maybe not appropriate for a single session. Uh, I reckon we got to get to the end of it. We got to. We're gonna have yeah, something. Something I think this comes is the, the ending. End. Yeah, I think this is the ending. I think that. I All think right, that's fair. So enough. that kind of that gives us a really good picture, right? That kind of also tells us who our wanderer is. They are someone who maybe we don't even know like what their home was. Maybe mm. they've just the, you know this is the last step on their journey. So like home is less of a place and more of an abstract idea. Mm. And it's just they've been walking for a very long time on their way to do this thing. We're at the, we're at the start of the manga berserk. We're at the we're at the opening chapter of the manga berserk, not the uh, flashback series that goes for the next fifty chapters. Yes, that is correct. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay. So a uh, few notes about the world. It is dangerous. It is lonely. You know, you are by yourself, or we are by the wanderer is by themselves. Uh, and there is history everywhere. It is haunted by the past. There is, you know, ruins or there are there is history everywhere you look. So what is our area? Where what is the first thing you picture when you picture kind of the zoomed in place where our tale unfolds? So I have I tr- some thoughts, but I want to hear yours. Yeah. So this is the thing. It's hard coming into a game like this, which is built on collaborative storytelling. And, and it's hard to avoid but you have to keep telling yourself, no, stop planning stuff out. Like, stop being like, oh, here's a cool thing that could happen. Like, you got to let it happen on the day, mm-hmm. right? But the the image that jumped into my head immediately when I was reading through the rules and thinking of scenes uh, is a library, like an Ooh, old, okay. ancient, half buried library that people have found. I just like yeah. that as a setting, right? When we're talking about old knowledge and lost history, you know, I just mm-hmm. think this concept of like. And, and if, if we're talking at the end of a journey, right, if there's some concept that part of this journey is about 
discovery or solutions to, to, to what's happened in the world, which won't get completely solved. But this idea of finding that last repository of knowledge is sort of a classic quest uh, in, in, a, in a post-fall universe. I love that. And, and so I, I kind of think that I love the idea that also that the library is our area, right? Like the library, which means that this has to be like a massive, like I'm yes, picturing like yeah. a massive like library of, oh, what is Alex- Alexandria, right? The library exactly. of Alexandria? Yeah. Yes. It's not, it's not, there's not a library somewhere in our area. The library has catacombs and books and rooms and it, yeah. and it goes and, and hallways no one's ever been down. Like yeah. this beautiful, expansive broken thing i think it like i like that yeah and it might never end we don't know we don't know where the boundaries of this library is that owns okay so um i'm gonna come i'm gonna say you you threw out you mentioned catacombs and i love the idea that there are like literal cat there there are um i'm gonna call them the catacombs of biography Ooh, I love that it. there is literal tombs kind of there's tombs and barrows and a whole section of the library that is like People are there and they're surrounded by like every, you know, biography book and scroll of their deeds. And it is literally Mm. like you go there, there's a dead person and here is their story around you. I love it. So give me another location. Oh, all right. Uh, Well, it's a library. So you need some kind of grand reading room with all of its little, Mm -hmm. you know, that all those scenes you see in like. The State Library of New York. Everyone's in that one big open tiered room where everyone can sit and grab those books off the shelves and read them. Yeah. Okay, and that's those are our locations. We have the 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 catacombs of biography and the the grand reading room. God, the library is so cool. Dang it! Right, libraries are dang cool. <laughs> okay, now we lay out our wanderer. Our wanderer needs a few things. They need a name. An aesthetic, a background, uh, a trinket from their homeland. We don't know why they have it. They just have it. And uh, sort of a a behavior, an adjective that describes how they kind of generally interact with the world. Um, Do we have any thoughts on any of those? Ugh. uh, Let's think. Let's think. What's a good name for a cool wanderer? Cool wanderer. What about Alaris? Alaris. I love it. A-L-E-R-I-S. Alaris. Let's go uh, pronouns he, his. Oh, I was going to say Alaris is a wonderfully gender neutral name. All right. Let's go they, there. Alaris, pronouns they, there. Uh, what do we think their style is? Or, or, or where they kind of, or the place that they've come from, or something they have with them. You know, those will kind of all tell us a little bit more about, like, who they are. Yeah. I, so... We're dealing, we're dealing with this idea of like a library and books and mm-hmm. looking for knowledge. But I kind of have this image that they're not uh, someone who's like, they're not like dressed like a scholar. They're not dressed like a wizard. They're not here sure. because cause this sort of stuff is their wheelhouse. They're here because it's a quest. Like, I don't think they're here carrying a big book on their back and ready for learning. I think they're here in some armor no. with a sword and, you know, they've traveled a long way to get here, but they're not 100% sure. They're not just yeah. like, here's the book I wanted. So, yeah, I think their trinket is like a blade because I have kind of a picture of a cool blade. It's like Ooh, nice. basically like like a very long machete and it's kind of curved. 
it's not quite a scimitar because it's got that big chunky, that, that sort of machete chunkiness, but it's kind mm. of curved like a like a scimitar. And it's just this sort of big, sort of ugly, bloodstained, like, hacking blade. Yeah. Now, the, a big, ugly blade that's also a trinket from their homeland needs a name. Yeah. I don't have a name, but it needs one. It is the Rectifier. Wonderful. That's wild, and it's got some history behind it that we might not get into, but it's got some history behind it. We know it's rectified something. We know it's, yeah, we know know it's made something right, or at least it claims to have. (laughs) Yeah. So they, like, all of that, the armor, the rectifier, this is someone that came from, like, a very kind of industrial place, I think. Like, they came from a place that is very smokestacks and you know, iron forges, and it's mm. a very kind of uh, a different sort of gothic. I'm almost basic. I'm almost picturing like if a character walked out of Bloodborne into Dark Souls. Yeah, I like it. It's not so they're cool. not they're not dressed in big knight's armor. They've got like the the long coat and the crumpled top hat and a big fuck off sword. I think they have a breastplate underneath. Like they got that breastplate oh, underneath yeah. the big coat, so that you get that cool little bit of shine to it. Oh, it's yes, it's like cool. those that sort of like Napoleonic kind of soldier look. They've got the, the metal breastplate, but there's a mm-hmm. nice jacket over the top. Yep. It's probably not nice by now. No, 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 no. And so the last thing is they are a, what is the source of their great power? They are capable of, of meeting almost any challenge. What is the source of their strength? That sword is sounding pretty good. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I, I kind of, yeah, I think they might just be like a kill, like a killer of things. Yeah. They might just be a, a, a great slayer. Mm. I like this. So, so part of, part of what inspired Dark Souls as an IP was the manga Berserk. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's, 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 I think that's pretty much claimed by the people who made Dark Souls, right? Sure. And there's this feeling with, with Berserk. Have you ever, have you ever read Berserk? Uh, uh, I've seen this- a little bit of, a little bit of it. He's got this sword with him, and there is this feeling sometimes of just like, like he's spectacular, but the sword is like, like he's taken that sword places to kill people with it, mm-hmm. and you get this similar feeling. Right, we've got this sword called the Rectifier. It's almost like Alaris isn't the Rectifier. We've got the sword is the Rectifier. So mm-hmm. that concept of like getting your power from your sword isn't just like I am violent and I can kill things with this sword. There's always this feeling of like sword comes first, right? Like yeah, the you need, sword. You need the sword has something. a violence in it. Yeah, right. And like, but even just like, you know, oh, I need to get up this cliff. Someone is like swinging that sword into it and making it like mm-hmm. the sword comes first. That helps you solve the problem. I love that. That's that's dope. That is super dope. It's almost like the sword is taking Alaris on a journey, not the other way around. God, that's so cool is the thing. Like, that's so cool. <laughs> oh, I'm into this. Especially because like, yeah, like the rectifier, like that's that's definitely a sword that I don't trust its <laughs> motives. No, right? Okay, cool. All right. So with that, we are done discussing our thoughts on things. We will write them down in between scenes, but otherwise we leave it on the table. Cool. Uh, And now we dive into the game itself. Uh, There are three parts to the game. Part one, part two, and the final confrontation. Part one is made up of five scenes. Things are relatively peaceful. The Wanderer has a chance to explore the area and discover lore, one element of lore per scene. The scenes are danger scenes, which are threats, which are threats that the, that the wanderer must overcome. Interaction scenes, which they encounter other people. These other people are cryptic, evasive, and eccentric, but not hostile. 
And then there are feature scenes where we just, we kind of zoom out a little bit and see what the Wanderer sees in the world and sort of discover the features of the world. And so I'll go ahead and take the, the first world uh, cue because I okay. kind of... You got a starting point? I think I got a starting point. The Wanderer, we begin amidst the stacks. Ooh, okay, or one section of amidst the stacks, right? Giant, massive, you know, each stack, like there's one of those like two-story ladders on wheels that you slide along because these mm. stacks, I think like in the, the sort of open lobby areas, you almost can't see the top of the of the library, right? Like you kind of just, it fades into sort of a hazy gray. Yeah. And it's just like impossibly high. There's countless floors and you are walking through and you see you pass by two of these stacks and like a shadow falls over you. Right. Cause there's just, so they're, they're, they're mm -hmm. so high. How long have you been walking through the library at this point? It's been a while. It's been, you know what? It's been two days, two days. Ale uh, Alaris looks at all the, all the, the stacks around them mm -hmm. and dragging the sword behind them. They're just, one walking slowly through the stacks, sword scraping along the ground behind them. They look at some of the 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 books in the shelving to their left. They turn their head a little bit. They shake their head and they just keep wandering forward. And what you find is you come upon like two empty shelves. Ooh, that's two empty shelves. Um, and there's a little tiny like. Dewey decimal plaque on one of them and it just says you know 802.55.17.9 war <laughs> there's clearly dust patterns on the shelves that indicates the books were here once uh, Alara starts sort of running their hands over the shelves trying to knock on anything uh, do, they, do they hear or see or like is there anything they can feel interesting about these bookshelves you you run your fingers along and there are almost grooves where like you can tell things had been resting here very heavy things thick books you know histories of war like you know textbooks and atlases and encyclopedias had been resting here and they had started to press down on the shelves for how long and you know you, you know how long books of all kinds sit on shelves on a library this large, you know, generations before someone might pick them up. And yet every book on these shelves has been taken and taken recently because the dust patterns, as you run your fingers along, the dust is thick and you almost press down into it for a moment and then run it. And suddenly, and like it kind of adds this sort of topographical element to it where you kind of drop your fingers, drop like a millimeter of this dust and you drag it along and you see that the wood underneath is pristine, meaning mm. that that dust had accumulated only yeah, yeah. and only recently those books have been moved. Ooh. Um, well, first things first, Alaris takes the rectifier. Mm hmm. Make sure there's enough space. Mm hmm. And smashes it straight through these two shelves. So good. And they crumble. They crumble like, you know, the rectifier. They crumble and 
what happens is there's this little spark as you've been dragging it, this thick metal blade along the stone floor. It's been making this little spark. You swing and that spark, you, so you not only like, not only do they shatter, right? They crumble, right. but then that spark hits the wood. It just hits like the wood particles at just the right thing. And it, boom, and it's oh. ash and smoke. And, you know, there is now a bonfire in front of you. Oh, uh, <laughs> now there's nothing that, and that the shells are just destroyed. Yeah, they're gone. They're, they are, they are crumbled. They are burning embers. Alaris looks at the ground to see if any of the dust on the floor has been disturbed. If there's anything leading anywhere. Uh, there are foot, there are footsteps and wheel marks as if from like trolleys and book carts leading uh down and then you see some stairs down deeper into like the tunnel the sub tunnels and the the service tunnels and the catacombs and the sub areas of the of the library Iris is gonna follow them all right and i think that's the end of our first scene Ooh, that was fun <laughs> That was a lot of fun. I'm into that. So now what happens is uh, we've told our story. We have our we have our piece of lore, uh, our piece of lore that every book in the war section has been taken. And now we jump to conclusions. We tell what we think the ultimate adversary is and sort of like what that final what the what sort of the grand adversary overseeing this area is. Hmm. Okay. I have my thoughts. <laughs> they're very rough. They're very roughly sketched, but I have thoughts. Ooh, okay. All right. So. So I take over. I'm the world now. You are the world now. So decide if you'd like to do a danger interaction or feature scene. And then uh, run me through the scene and we'll, and we'll uh, discover some more lore. So that first scene would have been, what, a feature? That was a feature, yeah. Okay, I think I have a scene. Give me a second to... All right. All right. <clears throat> Here we go. Let's, let's go. All right. So, uh, we're still... We're, we're further in through the stacks. Mm-hmm. I, I'm going to keep it in the stacks. Uh, Alaris has been following this trail that they found. Mm-hmm. It curves through. It travels on. You see a few more crisscrossing trails. At a, a certain point... There's not one trail to follow, but three or four. So Alaris isn't quite sure where to go. Where does what does Alaris do? I think Alaris. Um, they've been dragging this sword, right? And I think they finally yeah. like lift it up, and they kind of with a, with an ease that shouldn't come from a sword this just bluntly heavy. Mm. They start twirl. They kind of give it like a twirl in their hand, and then another twirl, and they kind of lift it up. And they flip it, and they just bring that sort of broad, flat top of the sword. So it's not even really stabbing as much as it is just thumping. They thump the ground as hard as they can, and they watch which dust, like which dust path scatters and which one holds true. (laughs) Uh, They all scatter. You've got no path. Hmm. All the dust has moved and settles. I think these these trails must have been... This dust hasn't had time to settle in. It's these mm-hmm. things have are still moving, but mm. when Alaris slams the ground with their sword, you hear a squeal off in the off in to your right, a sort of ah. And I stand up. 
and I throw the sword over my shoulder. No, I pick. I start dragging it again. I think yeah. that's just how I carry the sword. And I, 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 I stand up and I like pick the sword up and I throw it behind me and I start dragging it again. And I just start walking off into the right. Though the dust scattered, I found the path that I must walk. Yes. As the lettuce gets closer or, or, or further along to the right, you start to hear no more squeaks or rather no more squeals. But you hear a rusty sort of squeaking, like like a unoiled wheel turning quickly. As you and get, I... oh, yeah, please, no, please, no, no, please approach. Oh uh, yeah, I, I, I just, I, I unwaver in my approach, and I like, I don't pick up the sword. Is the big thing. Like I continue to drag it, and I just kind of almost. I, my shoulders do sag a little bit, but it's not because the sword is heavy. It's because I'm almost like vaguely reluctant. Like I, and I and like I kind of look back at the sword for half a second, and then my shoulders slag, and I continue to like march towards it. As you approach, you you come around a corner and you see the source of the noise. It's a small book trolley, but it's not just a trolley. The trolley itself is almost empty. There's a single large book sitting on the in the centre of the top of the trolley. But next to the trolley, you see two small figures, probably only two, maybe three feet tall, grey skin, small, sharp teeth, little creatures, humanoid. Mm-hmm. And as you approach, both of them turn to you and freak out. They see you, they start to scream, they go, ah, 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 and they try to run. And I say try because they're not necessarily going to succeed. One of them mm-hmm. takes the book. It takes the book straight off the top of this cart, leaves the cart where it is, and starts to scurry down the hallway immediately. As it's running, the other one, who's holding a square piece of paper in its hand that you can't read from where you are, tries to run as well, but its ankle is chained to the cart and it can't get away. And I, you know, still dragging the, still dragging the rectifier, I come up to the chain and I look at the chain and I look at it and I look at the chain and I lift up the rectifier and I shatter the chain. And I just point and I say, go. And then I just walk past it without like missing a beat as I continue, as I just, not running, just dragging this this weight behind me as I just follow after this this creature holding this massive book. Now, here, I'm not very appreciative of its freedom. As you walk away, you feel something bite into your leg. And then something else bite into <sighs> your arm. A third creature has dropped down from the top of the stacks and landed on your arm. Now, this is our first danger scene. Mm -hmm. And so I need to set some stakes for you. All right. The creatures on your arm, the creature on your leg, they're not that scary. You're not too worried. You've had worse on your journey to the library. You can deal with them easily. But if you do, the creature with the book is going to get away. If you try and follow the creature with the book, this is going to cost you a lot more. Because not only Mm -hmm. will you lose the creature with the square paper... You won't have time to stop them really doing some damage to those limbs of yours. You're going to have to rip them off rather than fight them slowly. 
Um, so I think what I do is, dang, those are good stakes. That's a, this is a good conundrum. (laughs) I think, I think I, you know, holding, I, I let them chew for a moment and then I, I, I think I throw the rectifier in the air. I don't want it to be involved in this because I know how it will end if rectifier (laughs) is here for this. And I just, I grab one of them by the scruff of its neck and I throw it and, you know, I slams against a wall and then I just grab the other one and I hold it up and I just look at it and I like, and Rectifier is twirling in the air and is just starting to drop. And I say, make a choice, go. And I look up at Rectifier or stay. Uh, It squirms, tries to squirm out of your hand. To run away and I, I i put it down <laughs> it runs hmm. as does the other one which well rather this was the one that was biting your arm the one biting mm-hmm. your leg is holding the square piece of paper in its hand but it's unlatched and is cowering paper all right you grab the paper from its hand and it too scurries off into the distance and I grab Rectifier just in time for it to reach me. <laughs> Rectifier lands surprisingly gently into your hand. Mm-hmm. And I look at it and I say, it's for the best. And then I sit and I, I sit and I read the paper. And I watch, I watch, I watch the thing scurry off and then I sit and read the paper. Yeah. You open the piece of paper and it's not a long read. There's only two words, or rather, there's only two lines written on this paper. On the top of the piece of paper, it says, Samuel the Robed. Hmm. And on the bottom of the piece of paper, it has a Dewey Decimal number, 9.7.312, presumably not Dewey Decimals in this strange fantasy world. And it says next to that, sorcery. And I look at the stacks and I look at the nearest like plate of numbers and I climb up and I start like walking and I start going like nine, seven, three, two, eight, nine, seven, three, two, seven, nine, nine. And I just start walking and counting. Beautiful. I think we can leave it there. Yep. All right. So we've got our next piece of lore. Uh, now we jump to conclusions. Yeah. All right. All right, I've got an idea. Something is building, and I'm very excited about it. Cool. All right. Let me know when you're ready, and we'll go into scene three. <sighs> I mean, I did that scene. I still need to take some notes. <clears throat> All right, let's go. All right. So, scene three. Um, You are at the sorcery stacks and i think here uh they are largely largely empty um you know and and i think you hear uh squeaking wheels of oncoming carts and like kind of mumbling and grumbling in the distance Mm. as people are approaching but you don't see them. They're far enough away that you don't see them. But you know they're close. 
And you know, know there are a few more books here. Yeah, so I'm at the sorcery stack. I hear approaching mm-hmm. voices. Um, I don't think Alaris cares. Mm. I don't think Alaris tries to hide, doesn't try and move. I rest Rectifier up against this, the bookshelf next to me. And I start having a look at the books in the shelf, in the sorcery section. Or rather, looking, looking to see if any are missing. Um, a lot of them are missing. Like, you, you see the individual numbers written of books, and you see a lot of them... Uh, you see a lot of them are missing. Um, and, you know, you, you notice that, like... Actually, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take that again. I wanna, I wanna completely scrap that. I know what the lore is here. Uh, they are largely, like, untouched. There are some missing, but, like, you can tell, like, from the dust deposits that the books that are missing have been missing for a while. Mm. There's only one book missing. And it is the biographies. And you can tell because they're, it's it's a series of books. It's kind of like an encyclopedia. So they all match. The bindings all match. Mm. And it is uh, the biographies, the life and times of the Sorcerer Kings, chapter seven. Because you have chapter six. Chapter yeah. six, uh, you look at the cover and it is, um, you know, it is... Uh, the rise of the the rise of the machine gods, and chapter eight is the era is the era of oblivion. Ooh. Or no, chapter eight is after the war. So chapter six is the rise of the is the rise of the war machines, and chapter eight is after the war. Well, that's very cool. And. Those wheels, those squeaky wheels are approaching and there's, and you hear initially grumbling and then you hear one panicked squeak and then they start to thump and then you hear the squeaks increase with speed. And before you know it, there are like three carts of these tiny gray minions upon you. Oh no! You know, riding on the carts with little—they've some of them have grabbed like brooms and they're swinging them, and you know they've got their claws and teeth. I was gonna say, I'm gonna ask you—it's not how you defeat these things that I'm that I, I want to know. It's, or rather, it's not that you defeat these things, and because I I think the stakes here is not whether or not you 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 win here. It is uh whether it is the level of destruction that you cause in doing so. You know, it is, mm. you can, you can easily wipe, you can easily wipe this encounter, but doing so will, you know, lay waste to these stacks of these, these old books. And this is the sorcery section. We don't know what will happen if you lay waste <laughs> to this, like you did with the war section. That's true. <laughs> um, ooh, I think for a while, the damage is fairly contained. Alaris tries to avoid picking up this sword, leaves it sitting against the bookshelf. But just the number of these little grey guys, uh, after the first cart's been toppled, she's picked up, or they've, they've picked up one of these, these small men and thrown it at the other and they've clashed heads and fallen over. But after a while, it's getting tough. It's just, Alaris is starting to bleed. They've got bites all over them. Some small stab wounds from one of the little guys who's picked up a penknife. 
And then a few of them try and grab the sword as well. And at that point, the decision's been made. Mm-hmm. And Alaris grabs the handle and there's a little bit too much destruction. After a few seconds, mm-hmm. the books that aren't destroyed are just covered in a kind of green, sickly blood. Mm-hmm. And Alaris is standing in the middle, breathing heavily and holding re- re- Rectifier, which now has a coating of goblin mm-hmm. blood. And I think the last thing that we see is a black sickly sm- you know we see the pages of some of these and like they fall and one of these tattered books starts to glow right like the the little like emblem on the on the on the leather bound cover starts to glow and sickly black smoke from two of these like tunnels two of these stairwells down sickly black smoke just starts to billow out and you just see the bare the barest glimpses of faces in there as someone, someone, somewhere has had their book of sorcerous spells disturbed and they're not happy about it. And that's, I think as that happens, I, I think will be the end of the scene. Wow, okay. <laughs> so this book's been knocked off the shelf and the smoke has started to appear, but not from the book, from the other ends of the hallway. No, from, Ooh. yeah, from, from below. I have jumped, I have jumped to my conclusion. Uh, all right okay okay oh i tell you what i'm gonna do okay this is very stupid if i mute the skype call for a moment if i just mute myself uh that's not gonna uh, will you be able to hear me through zencaster uh i can set it up that way yeah well uh don't okay yeah i'm gonna leave this recording going and i'm gonna mute just so i can quickly talk through what the heck i'm thinking out of this scene and if you need to okay. later on, yeah, you can use fine. that audio in the episode, even though you can't hear it. That sounds great. I might do the same. All right, I'm going to mute. Yep. Okay, so you can't hear me, right? Good. So I had this thing earlier, right, with this Samuel the Robed. Is In my head, that was like who the book was being given to, right? It was a book that was like someone had requested it. Because I like the idea that the war books were not in the library because they were being like requested by someone but this is completely different because now it seems that samuel was the subject of the book maybe right like if if we've taken one sorcery book right the biographies of the sorcerer kings in my head samuel the robed was a sorcerer king and the fact that that happens right before after the war and the like implies there's some kind of the downfall has come out of this so we have war machines and machine gods like and and sorceries it's like people are trying to collect the knowledge of this huge conflict to create a new one but i don't know is someone giving that knowledge out like who controls these someone's got to control these these gray figures i i just i just don't know like i don't know they making requests for what they want ah i have no idea um and i don't know who's going to come out of this black book smoke i'm not ready for this i'm back all right i'm still not ready but i'm back all right <laughs> um Oh, okay, okay. You know, I'm not going to overthink it. Let's just have it. Uh, yeah. Yeah, let's, I feel let's like just yeah, go. Yeah. You can't overthink go with your, go it. With go with your gut, gut and then, Got to go know. with what feels thematically fun. All right. So, scene four. Scene four. Alaris is... We're never going to leave these bloody stacks. Uh, <laughs> uh, 
the smoke. We're just going to go straight on. Alaris is standing in this in this uh, in this bookshelves. The sorcery book has fallen to the ground, mm-hmm. and black smoke starts to pile in. Not just from one end, but from a few different things. It's starting to surround you, and you can see faces, multiple faces, coming out of the smoke towards you. None of the faces are looking at you. You can start to hear shuffling footsteps. Many, dozens, dozens of sets of footsteps slowly shuffling, scraping across the ground towards you. The faces that you see, they're not goblin faces. They're, they're larger. They're people your height. But there's something not quite right about the faces. The, the hair is not sitting where hair should sit. The, some of the eyes seem to be missing as they approach you out of the dark. The skin isn't quite right. There are holes where there shouldn't be holes. And as they approach, you see these faces belong to the dead. Skeletons. Mm-hmm. Bodies with skin sloughing off as they slowly approach this book that's fallen. I, I, I look around and I look at each of them and I, I kneel down. I actually kneel down. I pick up the book, you know, tattered and broken. I pick it up and I just wait. I stand there holding it in my hand, rectifier now slung over my shoulder. And I just wait for the first of the dead to approach. And I just, you know, offer it forward. My, my, my shoulders relax, the sword slung over in a very kind of relaxed position. And I just offer it forward and I say, this is yours. You offer it to the closest of the dead as it approaches you. But it stops. It doesn't reach out its hand. It doesn't look at you. It doesn't say anything. It just stands perfectly still. You're now surrounded on both sides by these living corpses. And then you hear movement from behind you. I I, I slowly, you know, still holding the book kind of expectantly, you know, in, in my hand, Loosely as if I as if waiting for someone to take it, I turn around I turn around to, to, to see the movement behind me. As you do, you see a head approaching you high above the waves of the, of the sea of, 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 of corpses. It seems someone who's a good head and shoulders taller than the bodies around them. As the crowd starts to part in front of you, you see it's a normal sized person sitting on a chair that's being carried by four of these skeletons. As they get closer to you, you see this person isn't quite undead. They just look shriveled, wizened, with a long grey beard that curls down their body to their feet. They're wearing robes and and a small little hat. Nothing big, nothing fancy, just a nice little cap that they can wear, almost like a sleeping cap. As they approach you, they smile. Now, their, their teeth aren't anything to look at, but they smile in at least what looks like it could be a friendly gesture. And they reach out towards you to grab the book. And they say, Oh, I, I worried someone had taken it. Thank you. I, I have no need for anything on the shelves. And I, 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 I say that and I hand off the book and I, I lean down like there's a few pages that have been ripped and I pick them up and I hand them off and say, damage was done. It was unavoidable. 
you understand. I hope, I hope, yes, yes, of course, of course. Sometimes hard things must be done in the line of duty. Uh, no, no worries, no worries. And they start to slowly kind of put those, like flick through the book very slowly, deliberately, finding the places where these pages are missing and just carefully put them back in and, and start to close the book again. Uh, as uh, they, they, they take the, the they, they have the book now and they hand it off to, to one of the bodies behind beside them and they reach down and whisper something in its ear and it walks towards the sorcery bookshelf with the book in hand, trying to find where it could fit back in. And I look around, and I look up, and I just whisper, or mutter, do you and your kingdom need anything else from me, or can I go on my way? Oh, no, no, I'm... We're, we're perfectly fine as we are. I'll get back to sleep now. Although, hmm, fewer books here than there were last time. I suppose that's always the way. I, I... What good is a library if people aren't checking things out? They pause for a moment. And then the old man laughs. Well, I suppose that's true. It is a library, not an archive. Dream well, my friend. And oh, I, you know, oh, I shall. The rectifier, the rectifier drops back down. And I start walking off. <laughs> As, as, as you start to walk towards one of these pathways full of the undead, the, the old man sort of shoes his hand at them and they start to make way for you to pass through. And I, 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 I don't make eye contact with anyone, but as I get to the end, I look back and I give a little nod and I, and I, 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 I walk back off in the direction that I saw this little gray goblin run off with this book. And I, I quietly make my way down, like descend deeper and deeper. I think that might be seen. I think so. Yeah. All right. So now I am going to mute briefly because I kind of want to talk through my thoughts a little bit because <laughs> I do. have some thoughts. <laughs> all right. So what I think is happening here, this is kind of thrown a curveball things for me. So I want to talk through to you, the listener. Um, so originally... I'd, I had a pretty clear idea, but now that there's, like, obviously a king of the undead, I think there's some sort of intra-kingdom or inter-kingdom conflict happening for control of the library. So I think that's where we're at. That's kind of, that's my, that's my conclusion that I've leapt to uh, in this one is that, no, okay. I think Samuel the Robed is building a war machine to claim the library. From the other kings of the library. Alright, I've leapt to a conclusion. Okay. <laughs> uh, again, it was my scene, but I don't, I don't know. What I can conclude. We'll have to see what happens in the next one. And that'll be the, and this will be the last scene of part one. Yes. Uh, and I'm going to end... I'm going to end it. I think our last scene will be a short one. Uh, it will be in the reading room. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you come upon the reading room and it is massive as all, as all these spaces have been, you know, all of sort of the stairwells to the catacombs below kind of stem from this room, as well as a lot of the staircases up, you know, spiraling staircases and spiraling and spiraling. Mm, it's and the spiraling. central location. I love it. Yeah. And there are chairs and there are, there they all the chairs are these ornate, comfortable, like lavishly crafted thrones. But they've all been like 
torn and stabbed and ransacked. And yet everything around it is gold and gilded and lovely. You know, it's it's lovely decor that has been ravaged by age. Hmm. There are uh, wells, almost like uh, big giant wells of wine, like those, um, for lack of a better term, like bird feeders, because I know that there's like a fancy <laughs> term for that, but a basin. There's like basins <laughs> yeah. of, of wine and water. And, you know, you don't know how long they've been there, but there is... Uh, there are food in like glass containers that looks remarkably well aged and it is this this just very quiet calm place around you you see a few things uh, you see statues you see a statue of the king that you just saw you know held up by skeletons and like holding a staff holding holding a book and standing you know, uh, held aloft by skeletons and you see uh, statues of a woman you know uh, spear and shield surrounded by giant massive armored knights right stone swords in their hand and this woman is like around a mural of great warriors and there is uh, a satyr, right? Like a satyr surrounded by centaurs and chimera and like, you know, all of these great figures and you just see these statues, you know, and that's, it, it's, it's a reading room, but it is as much a statuary. And mm. so what are you, what are you doing as you, uh, what else are you doing as you look around and see all of these statues of these figures and these figures surrounded by their, their followers and their subjects? What else are you, what are you doing? Uh, I'm going to look this is a sentence that we may need to cut because it's a big curveball sentence, but I'm going to say it anyway. I'm going to look for the statue with somebody holding rectifier. I think you find it after a while. You have to wander around the reading room to find it. And you find sort of a robed figure holding a sword, holding rectifier right in front of them, both hands, just, you know, holding it, looking down. There are no subjects around them, but there are pillars or bases where subjects would have been, you know, tiny ones, about like maybe three feet diameter. Ooh. Very tiny, tiny statues around this robed figure, this stone statue of a robed figure, looking down, and all of the other statues have been sort of sculpted stone, but this one is... Brilliant blood red. Ooh. Uh, can I stand on one of those empty plinths around it? Yeah. I do. And I bow my head to the statue. Mm-hmm. And, you know, next to the statue, you see the stairwell into the catacombs of biography, into the lower chambers of the library. You finally reach the sort of stairwell, the sort of ramp to the low, to to the sub-basements, if you will. And, you know, the, the red-robed figure's eyes clearly point to this tunnel. Oh, all right. Alaris stands up again from the bow. Uh... And before turning away from the statue, I pick up Rectifier mm -hmm. and I swing 
at this stature. Yo, okay. I'll just try and, and it shatters. It, beautiful. It crumbles. Like dust. You know, you make a, you know, rectifier. Uh, I think everything except the statue of rectifier crumbles like dust and, and the statue of rectifier, you know, the sculpture of rectifier lands flawlessly on the ground. Ooh, how big is this? It lacks statue sword. It's small. It's about it's about your size. Okay, here's what Alaris does. Alaris turns right. to face the stairs down to the catacombs. In Alaris's left hand, they hold the handle of Rectifier mm-hmm. as they drag it behind them, and struggling slightly, you can hear the exertion in their voice. In their, in their breathing. In their right hand, they hold the statue... They, they hold the handle of the statue of the blade rectifier and drag it with them as they approach the catacombs. Okay. And that is the end of part one. The end. We end part one in the catacombs. Part wow. two is three... I'm into it. Uh, so now we <laughs> jump to... Now we, now we briefly jump to conclusions. Whoa. Sorry, muting you. Or muting myself. All right. Okay, that's very cool. Uh, you know, sometimes you just got to double down on an action that feels thematically appropriate, and that was one. Uh, I wasn't sure whether I, I wanted to break a statue. I wasn't sure whether I was going to break other people's statues or the statue of the person holding Rectifier. But the fact that we had such a friendly interaction with the with the king, with the undead king, who also has a statue here, it's almost like Rectifier... Like, maybe the situation where rectifying is whatever the old holder did. Like, maybe this is not a sword that's like, oh, yeah, I love that person. Maybe there's a bit of correction of what they've done. Uh, maybe they're now an evil influence or using their own sword to kill them. I don't know. It's very cool. But I really hope that, like, oh, what is someone doing? Like, they're collecting all this knowledge of the maybe the other kings, right? We have a book of war and we had that woman warrior. We have this book of sorcery and we have... The sorcerer king. There's this still this Sato person who maybe we'll interact with, but I know I'm now in my head. I want the final adversary to be the previous holder of Rectifier back when it wasn't called Rectifier, and oh, I'm I'm in, I'm excited. Okay, okay, I'm back. All right, cool. So that ends part one, which means we now go into part two. Part two is up to three scenes. At any point, the wanderer can declare that it's time for the final confrontation. Mm. Um, we have to have at least one danger scene. After that, uh, we have one at least one danger scene. Uh, we can declare the final confrontation after at any point. Uh, the world is now darker. We are we are approaching confrontation, which means that danger scenes are deadlier and have a chance to make a real physical cost and a toll on our wanderer. Uh, interaction scenes the people are people are hostile and are you know uh are willing to lead the wanderer astray and the feature scenes are broken and tragic and frightening with that said it is your it is your scene we have, we have wandered into the catacombs re- two rectifiers in hand oh it's very fun <laughs> i'm loving this <sighs> okay okay <laughs> I got too many pages in front of me. Get out of here, rules. No one needs rules. All right, part two. I've you know I've got one of those moments. I've got like a like a scene that I want to happen, but I don't know if I want it to happen straight away. 
Like, I feel like maybe it shouldn't happen right now. But we've only got three scenes. I say if you've got a scene you want to happen, like, I say go for it. Because I'm ready to to run it, run in. All right. Now, okay, here we go. Here we go. <laughs> Fire out. All right. So we're in the catacombs of biography. Alaris has come down this winding stairway and they're walking through these catacombs. There's an echo with every step. As Alaris continues down, you see on their left and on their right, tombs. Each one a small, almost like a... Uh, it's not a mausoleum, but, you know, this, it's an mm-hmm. inbuilt, an in, like, a, like a, a little cut-out area with a single yep. uh, stone sarcophagus. Some with ornate decorations, some plain stone. They all have names carved in the base. And behind them, in the room all around them, are books. But Alaris continues on. Because way down the end of this hallway, they see two figures still shrouded in, 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 in the shadows. They can't quite make them out. But they can hear breathing, pained breathing. And they can hear the rattling of chains. I, I, you know, the weight of rectifier of the rec, the weight of rectifier, the first on my sh- on my back, and the weight of rectifier, the second in dragging behind me. I come up to the chains and I just look, and I drop both of them to the ground, and I just like survey what is in front of me, and if they if they need to face the blade or not. As you approach, the two figures become clearer. Both, uh, one on your right is the same size as Alaris, six feet tall, covered in heavy armour, and holding in one hand a shield and another hand a long spear. The figure on your left is taller, much taller. Their legs covered in fur, hard hooves clacking as they... move around against this hard stone floor. They have horns coming out the top of their head and long hair running down to their shoulders. No weapons. As you approach, you see that both of these figures have a chain leading from the wall next to them and up to a a steel collar clamped around their neck. As you approach, the figures look at you. Their eyes are red. And at first, they don't do anything. But as you see their eyes travel down to the two swords that you hold in your hands, they become furious. They stand up, scream, and attack. Hmm. And I I stand perfectly in the centre of this, like, this chamber, right? far enough yeah. where I like I wait I wait for a moment and if I may add add a detail because I, I, I there's a detail that I think fits very nicely here I stand just far enough where their chains break as they come at me interesting and I pick up the blades and I just whisper so I'm so I'm too late then and I pick you know and I lift them up and 
swings out, swing out both rectifiers to the side and twirl and go to work just to like putting these two these two souls to rest. You know, uh, getting getting beaten down, outnumbered, but just you know cleaving and a hacking as they come at me and they attack and they you know I am beaten and broken, but you know I I tear through them with with these two swords that are hungry. As you fight, swinging swords, clashing off their shield. After only one swing, that shield splits in half. The spear breaks. And as you're fighting, there's a moment. The satyr is coming up behind you. It, it kicks and it bites. It scratches. It. It's a hard fight. You get knocked to the ground, but you have these swords and you are an avatar of destruction. But you notice something. You swing your sword at the satyr. You cut open its chest. It is falling, bleeding on the ground. But as it falls... The back of its neck smashes against the wall, and having taken a few blows during the fight, the collar falls off. Hmm. The satyr lies dying. But as it's dying, you notice something about its demeanor changes. Its eyes seem to calm down. It looks at you, not with anger, but with fear. As the last breath comes out of the satyr, its eyes seem apologetic. You don't have a huge amount of time to process this because the warrior is still swinging. The spear flies past your head, a sword is drawn, and the conflict continues. But now you're faced with a choice, with a price. If you fight, you know you'll win. You can mm-hmm. kill this woman. You can kill this armoured figure. But if you try... It will be much harder. You're much more likely to to die. But you can try and aim not for the woman, not for the armoured figure with, the, with, their, with their weapon, their shield, but you can try and aim for that collar. Drop your larger sword, take the, take the mm. true rectifier and hit not for anywhere that will kill them, not for anywhere that will keep you safe, but just for that collar. Who's going to pay the price here? I think exactly what I do is drop drop the the stone blade with the with the rectifier the true I I I, I crush the you know I I tear the collar off but in doing so the spear like goes straight through my shoulder right like in in one right end through. out the other I am impaled and I'm just like my arm drops I grab him I grab rectifier with the other arm and I stand there uh, before this person and not even giving them time to react. I merely wish mutter. Go. The collar breaks. The eyes calm. This figure looks at you and they remove their helmet. And the woman looks apologetic. Her eyes flick towards the satyr and she appears as if she's in grief, but stoically. She doesn't say a word. She bows her head to you, just slightly, and, wounded from the, uh, from the fight, limps slowly into one of the 
uh, cut out into one of the, I wish I had a better word for these things, <laughs> into one of, I've got it. And she limps slowly towards one of the recesses in the wall to where you see a stone sarcophagus, ornate, surrounded by books with its lid removed. She bows to you, gets into the sarcophagus, and pulls it shut. Spear still in my shoulder. I put, I rest rectifier on the ground. I lift up the satyr, like heavy, you know, on my other shoulder. I, I go over to one of these other sarcophagi that is open and I rest it inside and I shut the door. And then I, I do the only thing that I can do, which is I run shoulder first at the wall as hard as I can and shove the spear clean through (laughs) and gaping bloody hole in my shoulder I walk knowing that it is now time for the final confrontation now before you move on though you have one final choice to make alright your right arm is useless Mm -hmm. but you have two swords uh this There's only one sword that will see me through to the end of this. It is the sword that has brought me here. I I have no choice in the matter. I pick up Rectifier the True. And I bring it home. Alright. And scene. Alright. And scene. We do (laughs) so I have called for I have called for the final confrontation because I am I am ready. (laughs) I am ready for the showdown. I have I feel like I feel like we we have two more potential scenes, but I'm like I'm like I'm ready to we, we freaking go. go. <laughs> so we have one final round of jumping to conclusions. Yeah. Okay. Um, and I am not gonna mute myself because <laughs> I because if it's all right with you, you've got the, you've got you want to do it. I would love to declare the revelation because I have a very strong I have a very strong picture of this of this of our our final. Okay. Uh, thing. Now, for the, before we do this, do you want to give a quick rundown of what happens? Uh, yes. Because this sort of divided up this, this final yes. confrontation. So, we have entered into part three. I have called for the final confrontation. There are now three scenes, um, or three parts, each with their own sort of flow and rhythm. Part one is the revelation. Uh, this is the adversary is revealed in their terrible glory. Uh, I have a I have a strong idea, so I would love <laughs> to take the the role of the adversary here. That's fine. Um, so uh, I will describe their layer. I will describe uh what they are, what the adversary is, and I will set the battle. Then we will fade into the clash. Uh, the clash is the actual battle. Roles do not change here, so I am playing the adversary in the battle. You are playing uh Laris. Oh yeah. Uh, this is a danger scene. Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, 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 go. Uh, yep, go. Oh, yeah. Um, so this is a danger, this will be a danger scene. I will describe actions. I will give you prices and stakes and choices to make. You will defeat the adversary. Uh, the difference is once your price is paid, you are, the adversary is not, is only wounded. They transform and redouble their assault. To fully defeat the adversary, you must beat them twice and pay two prices. Uh, I will talk, you know, uh, the idea is that, that there, as, as is true of a great uh, boss battle, you beat me once and then my, I show you my true form. Oh, yes. 
Then uh, we f- we come to the end of the confrontation, and we come to the epilogue. We see the effect your actions have had on the world. We if we see if you ha- if one of the two of us uh, survived the clash, and then um, so. Okay, so the, in, the, in, the, in the epilogue, which is what happens after you take the role of the world, I take the role as, uh, I will take the role of the Wanderer. Yes. The Wanderer then has a choice. I may replace the adversary, or I can abandon the area. And then we, we, then we come to the end of the game. So, it is now time for the finale. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. Uh, so, the revelation. Uh, you tear through these catacombs, you know, and you see some of them have been, you know, desecrated and some of them have been like the books burned and they, and, and it is the further you get down into these catacombs, the more sort of destroyed and like torn to shred it's, it is. And you make your way down, down, down and. Suddenly, you start to cough and wheeze as the smell of smoke. That sort of familiar smell from, like, where you came from is starting to fill your lungs. And you start to look around and everything has that hazy smokiness. Until finally you come to this massive, carved-out, hewn stone area where there are just engines and stoves and forges and, and, you know... Goblins by the dozens are grinding bone and corpse meat and just, like, running these horrible, horrible machines. And you see all of these books on warfare and siege engine design and books upon books upon stacks upon stacks. And they're just scattered around and they're grinding and building and smashing things. And they're not even paying attention to you. What do you do? Oh. I look at the stuff being built around me and I bring up Rectifier and I get to work. Mm. I just start destroying Mm -hmm. all these machines of war, these machines of industry. Uh, Alaris just starts swinging. They are screaming and swinging. And at this point, their right shoulder is just coursing blood the this this uh, it's it's one hand is lying limply at their side and they are just breaking things they're not trying to kill these goblins but they're not really trying to avoid it either Mm -hmm. they're just destroying and i think the goblins a few of them come at you and you cleave through them you make quick work of them but yeah largely they're scattering and uh, but like they start to mount like more of a you know they grab spears and they start to get ready to mount an offense and suddenly they stop and they drop and they scatter when from behind you you just hear like this clanging walk and you turn and there's that red robe <sighs> and it is Samuel the robed and he holds up a, a metal gauntlet covered hand and he just points at the rectifier and you see. It's just, you know, this this massive gauntlet on his hand. Everything else is shrouded by a robe. And he's like, I want my sword back. I want my kingly birthright. I look at him. 
And now Ooh, yeah. we enter into the clash. Oh, he's the clash. Let's clash. All right. So, yeah. So what do you do? First things first, I say to Samuel, it's not yours anymore. I've renamed it. This is no longer the purifier. It's the rectifier. And there are mistakes that need to be corrected. And I charge at them. You, uh, you charge and in one fell swoop, he throws an uppercut, catches you in the jaw and you go tumbling and the rectifier goes tumbling to the side. You find yourself at, you find yourself just around like, maybe like some, like a cinder block or some heavy like industrial objects, but the rectifier you have two choices here. Here is your first choice. You can go for the rectifier, which will give you a much cleaner shot at, at, at vanquishing at vanquishing at least this first form. But in doing so, it will in doing so, it will mean that you are weaponless for enough of a time that you will be badly hurt coming into the second half of this fight. Or you can go to work with uh with these sort of makeshift weapons which will you know give you the give you an edge but it means that the purifier will end up in samuel therobe's hands alaris doesn't even think doesn't even think about it for a second as soon as i can get to my feet i'm running for that sword Mm -hmm. and i think um you know samuel holds out his hand and kind of scorpion for Mortal Kombat style, like a chain, like a spear on a chain shoots from his palm and catches you like straight through that wound on your shoulder and then funk like shoots out spines and like pulls you and whips you into a wall and then like comes and retracts and you are, you are just like, you know, torn to shreds and you are barely standing and then he comes and like he he starts to swing and he throws his chain at the uh, at the the rectifier. And uh, how do you counter it that lets you get to the rectifier? I don't. My right arm at this point, with the spear wound through the shoulder, another spear mm-hmm. wound through the upper arm. It's it's barely hanging on to my body. Mm-hmm. I don't counter this spear. I let it hit me one last time catch that arm and i wrench myself away and uh i think that catches samuel off guard right like and he kind of swings he's flailing an arm now and he's like what in the up and he's kind of like caught off guard because like he was kind of expecting to pull your full body weight and kind of pull you closer to sort of like stab you through the heart and end this so the fact that he he's kind of bracing for like, you know, 150, 200 pounds of weight and got like 10 or 15, he's now like stumbling back and swinging this arm on a spear chain, which gives you plenty of time to get to the rectifier. How do you vanquish uh, one-armed sword in hand? How do you vanquish Samuel the Robe's first form? It's one clean swing. As Samuel mm-hmm. reels back trying to gather their balance again i've grabbed the sword and alaris is running towards samuel screaming the 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 the, the anger that they showed when destroying these machines is is nothing compared to this 
and I just swing. It goes through and just cuts straight through Samuel's chest. I li- the, the blade and- sinks. The blade sinks in, and is wrenched out of my hand as he falls. And he falls, and there is no blood. Only thousands of tiny ball bearings. <laughs> and he, you know, his body goes still. And suddenly from that giant forge in the center of the room, you hear more of his voice just laughing as massive, like, as massive limbs just wrench themselves out of the stone. And you'll just look around yourself and you realize that this was not a forge for building war machines. This was the war machine. Every single book on every single one of those shelves was built towards building not a machine, but one exquisitely crafted piece of this gargantuan death engine, which will which is powered by the soul of this be of this man of this king of the king of the warlords. And it now towers over you. Which means we enter into the second phase of the clash. <laughs> Alara says, oh, I'm, I'm so very, very sorry. Please, please accept my apologies. <laughs> I'll just oh, leave you. Right. Yep, you're right. I'll <laughs> see you later. And we oh, end. All right. Oh, Great I game. see you're quite large. I might go home. So uh, the first, the first uh, stake that I will ask you to pay is you have to... Well, I'm going to ask you first and foremost, how do you find your way up the forge? And I'm going to say, like, you can climb along one of the limbs, but it's going to make you an easy target for for goblin like uh, gunslingers or riflemen. Yeah. Or you can try to come up from underneath. But because it is a forge, you'll have to cut your way through, which will mean the potential of uh you know, the innards of a forge, meaning hot lava dumping out underneath, and you'll have to try and avoid that. Well, look, that allows me to cut. Mm-hmm. So I think that's what I'm going to have to do. Okay. I don't try and run up. I'm not uh, trying to get to a certain point. This is this whole machine needs to go. And so I get underneath, and I just start smashing, rectifier in hand. Dope. Yeah, so you tear through the bottom of this thing and flaming molten metal dumps out and you find yourself in the burning heart of the forge. In it is the embers of the soul of Samuel the Robe. Uh, This thing is tearing through the catacombs of biography, you know, giant spider-like limbs are just tearing through walls and that is spitting fire. And you are inside just looking at this burning fire thing, this spirit, this ember being the essence of of the claimer of the purifier. There are, you know, uh, and there's one of two outcomes here. You can. Let me think of how to phrase this. Yeah. Either. You vanquish the spirit, and I'll ask you how you do that. 
but you are consumed, and Rectifier is left. Or, you sacrifice Rectifier, and you walk away. Whose journey is this the finale of? Whose journey is this the conclusion of? Is it yours, or is it the Rectifier's? That is the final choice and the final stake. This was never Alaris's journey to begin with. We had that established from from mm-hmm. the start. Rectifier is going to be sacrificed. Mm. So how do you do it? Oh, you know, God, I've, mm, I've got this annoying thing where, like, there's a there's a thing I want to happen, but it'll it'll it's it's going to be it's part of the kind of replacing the usurpation moment. And okay. so, so I don't, I can't do it because that's your, that's, okay. that'll be your job. So no, what I'm going to do, oh, all right. What's going to happen? I just, I just want to set this up. Yeah. This forge is, is uh, this, this soul, this ember, this, this, it's hot, it's hard. It's this core of this machine. And as, Alaris swings rectifier. There's this clash, this almighty just clash of metal on metal on molten lead on heat. And the blade starts to shatter. Mm-hmm. We can hear the, the, the disembodied voice of Samuel the Robed screaming because the blade isn't the only thing shattering. This whole core of this, of this war machine is falling apart. And soon, all you can see that's left of Rectifier, the whole blade has fallen apart, has gone. There aren't even pieces on the floor. But in Alaris's hand, we can see the handle of this great sword and only now can we see how different it is from the stone statue sword left lying outside in the catacombs the handle isn't metal it isn't this solid chunk that we see in the statue as the sword falls and breaks Alaris unwraps the handle of the sword and we see that it is a small, living sapling, no longer coated and surrounded by the metal of this sword. And Alaris slumps to the ground, and in their one working hand, holds this sapling and looks at it. And they have a decision to make. But it's not my decision. All right. So that brings us to the epilogue. And so now I have the choice of whether I replace the adversary or I abandon the area and move on. And then you can, and then you describe how, how, like what that means. Sure. So I think the visual, I think the visual cue that I will give this is time has passed. And we are in this giant catacomb area, this hollowed out forge area. And there is the rusted, broken-down chunk of a machine. But it's not the only thing down here. There are roots and trees and plants everywhere. It has grown inhumanly quickly and has just filled the space with, like, roots and vines and leaves. And it is... 
you know, almost suffocating the level of, like, plant life in this tiny space. And at the foot of this tree, in a red robe, with their one free hand, Alaris is sitting and is reading a book. <laughs> and finally, it's just like, oh, I've wanted, I've wanted time to read for too long. I don't know if we need to add anything to that. All right. Well, then that's game. Oh, that's game. Oh, I love it. That was oh. so good. <laughs> that was very fun. Oh, oh. oh I, I'm like, I'm, I love, I love, I love Lovecraft-esque and bleak spirit and games based on Lovecraft is the best. That was very enjoyable. Uh, I want to talk through where we were at as we went through. Can we do that? Yeah. Can we do like a, because like after each scene, I would love yeah. to see where we thought things were going. I'd love to do like a full recap. Yeah, is yeah, that too let's much? do that. That'll be, that'll be the, no, no, no. That's, I think, the perfect way to end a game of Lovecraft-esque or a Lovecraft-esque base games. It's just a real quick read through in order of what uh, our leap to conclusions are. Would mm-hmm. you like to go first or should I? Um, I'll go first, but there's also one thing I wanted to say before I do, which is there was a scene that in my yeah. head, the entire time we were in a library, there was one interaction scene that I wanted that because of how we just went through, it could ne- didn't make any sense. But it was in my head, like, if sure. I had started, this is how I would have started the thing. Just because I love this idea. I don't know why. Right. All I wanted was an interaction with a character that you, you know, you, you've arrived at the library. And, you know, you sort of, you've just arrived and you find this person sitting there surrounded by books. And, you know, you go up mm-hmm. and you say, what's, and kind of this idea of what's going on. And they're just like, you know, look at this wonderful library. It's, you know, this, this beautiful spot. Um, all of this knowledge. And then they look at all the books and it's like, hmm. Too bad I can't read any of it. And mm. I just wanted a character who can't read any of this stuff, either because they can't read or because all of this knowledge is very lost. No one can read it anymore. But I just mm. like that idea of someone just like I love that in idea. the library who lives there, collects all this knowledge, but just like, oh, I, I can't read a word of any of these books. Maybe one day. Maybe one day maybe I'll find one, one I can read. And they've spent, they spent like 10 years looking for a book they can read. I just I, that, was the, that was the one thing That's that popped into my good. head immediately. It never happened, but I liked it. I like that. I like that a lot. Okay, so so give me give me your give me your jumps to conclusions. Right, so first scene, um, which was your scene, we had that the war bookshelf mm-hmm. was found empty, and my first thought was like, I've written here like, where did the books go? And I said the adversary is either giving away knowledge to people, right? We've lost the whole war section. They are supplying. You know, people come to this library, and they're just like, and they and they're using it to sort of control stuff behind the scenes, right? They're giving away books on war to one power mm-hmm. who now takes. You know, there's this sort of manipulation element, or someone is restricting this knowledge. They've taken all the war books away so no one can mm, restrict, okay. no one can fight them, right? People come here looking for war books to help fight whoever the adversary is. Too bad. They're gone. They've destroyed them. You know, sure. There's no way to oppose them. That was my first thought coming out of that scene. That's, those are my notes there. Sure. Do you have anything? Uh, my that? notes for that, yeah, my notes for that scene were simply a, an army of war engineers are building something massive. Nice. Like that was, that was all I had was that kind of seed of an idea. Cool. And I mean, that's where it ended up as well. Like, not quite that shape, but like, mm-hmm. it got there in the end, which was cool. Um, second scene was my scene, which had the mm-hmm. two little goblin guys, uh, one with a book and one with a note of that it was Samuel the Robed and Sorcery. Do you want to say first what you got from that? Yeah. Uh, going off of my previous thing, I had kind of built that there is a sorcerer king who is using sorcery and war and war knowledge to build something like, you know, it is, mm. it is not simply a machine of war. It is some sort of magitech super siege engine. 
cool. I mean, that makes sense. I like that. So I was still like, because I was still had this this follow through of this possible supplying knowledge to mm-hmm. people, and in my head, the note for Samuel the Robed and Sorcery was that someone. I was, I, I was trying to like there was an, a seed in my head that this was an NPC you might run into that there was just someone here who wasn't looking for war knowledge they were looking for sorcery knowledge right so mm. the goblins like they they go off with their little library carts because someone said all right Samuel the robed has arrived and he needs the sorcery books and they're off sourcing those for him like Love the book it. they ran off with was like a sorcery book that they were trying to get to Samuel who would mm-hmm. just be some other guy like if we got to the reading room maybe he would be there and trying to play off it's like oh no no I'm not here for anything at all no no definitely not yeah, for right. a whole pile of sorcery books that we used to take over the world um, sure that was where that was going in my head which isn't which isn't where it ended up going but so I've, I've literally been like uh, is knowledge being supplied um, I also had noted here that the wanderer is compassionate but that the sword mm-hmm. is not <laughs> Yep. Which I think is a fair assessment of those these, these characters. Yeah. So uh, for the next scene, which was the, you know, one book is missing and the goblins have kind of descended on it. What was your jump to conclusion? Okay, cool. So um, I've noted here, Samuel is a sorcerer king, question mark. Okay. So this brought me through to like, I, I dropped my idea of who Samuel the Robed was because now we had one book missing about like a biography of the sorcerer kings. And I'm like, okay, mm-hmm. that could be a biography of Samuel. He could be one of these sorcerer kings, right? That's why that book was being taken. Um, in my head, that missing book was the book that other goblin had run off with. Mm, yep, that was exactly my yep. idea as well. Um, so now it's like, okay, well, who's getting these books? Like, if it's not for Samuel and it's about Samuel or, or, or involves him or like this, like what is, you know, who's 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 got this book? Like, why, why are we grabbing this here? I also did love now we had this whole thing of, of you know, the biographies in order where we have the machine gods the Sorcerer Kings, and then after the war. So it kind of speaks to, okay, this sort of stuff has happened before. Like, this is yeah. where the fall was. Like, there's been a clash of war machines, sorcerers, and all this sort of stuff in the past, and it's coming back. Like, it's going to happen yep. again. Which See, and my, my thing there was, my thing there was, I was thinking Samuel the Robed is rebuilding the war machines, because it was, because mm. it was, it was the, the rise of the machine gods or the Sorcerer Kings, blank, after the war yeah. which meant that which meant that the missing book had to be the war like the war of the war machines and this so in my head some of the conclusion that i had immediately went to was he is building these things that were that waged this war yes yeah and he is yeah, either exactly, building right? or he was rebuilding them over time it's mm, very cool and it, and it ties back into that stuff so we already set up with with uh yep. alaris being from an industrial kind of yep Isengard. Um, uh, so then the next scene, which was the uh, the King of the Dead. Yes. This actually really threw, threw a wrench in my, my, my conclusion there was, now there are other kings of the library. Mm. Now there are other sort of figures of great power, which means that Samuel the Robed is trying to claim that library from them, which gave me a lot of picture of like, of like i had a clear idea of what he was doing and this told me why he was doing it was that there was a power struggle Mm. and that he was doing he was building this machine to take that from them what i like that came out of this scene which isn't something i've got written down here but what i like that makes sort of sense is later on we find other figures of power that, that samuel has like subjugated but i like that this interaction with this king of the dead is that he's he's just sort of chill about it like he's not here for power he's not he's not struggling so like it made sense later on that Samuel had left him alone because 
He's mm-hmm. not doing anything. He's not going to fight this right. king. He's not like even now. Like even now, like, he he rises this huge army of the undead just to pick up his book, put it back, and go back to sleep. Like he's chill. And yep, makes sense, right? If you're if you're king of the dead and there's a huge war on, you're not going to be like, how do we stop this war? You're going to be like, yeah, that's cool. Everyone's going to die. That's fine. King of the dead. Yep. Like they'll just come to me. It'll be sweet. And so I like that. He's almost like this neutral party in the library who's just mm-hmm. there for to keep his knowledge safe, to relax. He's not, you know, he sees oh a few more books are missing. Okay, that's fine. You know, uh, mm-hmm. which which was fun. I've m- made a note there, like the books have been missing um, over time. And there's this sort of the interaction that Alaris had of like, well, you know, what's a library if you can't borrow books? And he was like, yeah, well, yeah, it makes sense. You know, you can take whatever you want, mm-hmm. I suppose. Yeah, that's true. It's a library. Like he's just a chill I like figure that. of power. It was it was quite nice. I liked him. So uh, then we have the next scene, which was the uh, the end of scene two, which is when we learned that Samuel the Robed had Rectifier. So then yes. it, might, it turned into I'm... it turned into Samuel the Robed. Yeah, go on, go on. Uh, it it turned into Samuel the Robed having lost Rectifier is now panicking because that was that was his ace in the hole. So he has had to build this thing because he's like, well, I don't have the thing that I I don't have the thing that made me king. He's like, I don't have the the, the thing that I need to, mm. ro- to 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 maintain my place of power, so I have to get desperate. Yeah, I'd I'd, I'd love this. I I I'm glad that something came of that. Like when I asked, "Where's mm-hmm. the statue holding Rectifier?" I wasn't sure if you would have had that or not, but I liked it as a question. I thought it was. I'm yep. glad it came to something very cool because I thought that was a fun interaction. And then the last jumping to conclusion when I when I very clearly was like, "I'm ready to go," mm. it was because. Uh, you would point when, when we had the scene with the other sort of lords of the library who had been subjugated, I was like, okay, I have this character in my head who is desperate, who had rectifier and lost it. They're building a war machine. Crap. No, they're building themselves into a war machine. They are build. They are, they are like, well, no, I can't, I'm not, I'm only human. What if I turn myself into not human dark souls boss? That's yeah. a good dark souls. That's boss. a good dark souls boss. Um, oh, and I'm glad I'm, I'm glad we got, got somewhere with the shattering of that statue. You know, some like because yep. that moment, that previous scene was again that was me just being like, I reckon that'll be a cool moment. I'm not quite sure where it's going to lead to, yep. but that's important. And it set up the whole fact that's that like cool. yes, like that is the, you know, there's some, uh, th- there's a little bit of like like I like that Alaris sat in the spot of one of the followers, right? Like they are from mm-hmm. this industrial place. Presumably, it's the legacy that Samuel left, right? It's yep. it's the the victorious. Well, look, we're doing very anti-colonial stuff here, right? Mm-hmm. Like it, it's it's they are living in the grandeur of this. Well, grandeur inverted commas of this post-war machine god victory, but they're also here to take it down and destroy it from the inside. And I really liked that. So they they you I know they sit there it. they they sit in the spot of one of its followers and then shatter the statue, and then mm-hmm. taking this. And I, I like the big stone sword. Uh, it was good fun. Like I loved that. I loved setting up the satyr, the woman warrior, the king. It was great because like like giving us one statue of that king that we already saw, the king of the dead. Is like okay, now we know who these other statues are going to be. They're big power players, and one of them being war related. I was trying to find a link between the dead king had a sorcery book, and the there was a statue of a warrior who like, and we had the war books missing as well. So it's almost mm-hmm. a feeling of kind of usurpation of knowledge there, right? Like we've taken the knowledge mm-hmm. for of war that probably should belong to this warrior statuette, statue person. We've taken this sorcery knowledge that belonged to that old dead sorcerer king. Uh, maybe there would, we could get to some taking of nature knowledge and I'm from the satyr. Mm. And I'm glad we got to like get nature back into it with the tree at the end. Yeah. 
because we sort of set up this third yeah, article of stuff. Yeah, I did that. Um, which was fun. That was cool. I, this turned out awesome. This it, was fantastic. It was really fun. So thank you so much for coming on the show. This was a blast. Yeah, that was very cool. I really enjoyed it. I decided, yep, we were, the story here was very anti-colonial and very uh, global warming mm-hmm. influenced because we need to get rid of all the machines yeah. and replace them with trees. Uh, so look at that. So, it's social commentary. It was great. So oh. real quick, before we wrap up, where can people find you and your work online? Okay. Uh, so if you're looking for our work, so I'm um, from Escape This Podcast, look, you can find us pretty much everywhere. Um, just Google Escape This Podcast. Uh, we can go you, where you have a website, escapethispodcast.com. Um, we, and just as a note, I don't know if it came up in the last one, all of the games that we play and that we design, you can play yourself for free. So if you enjoy playing these sort of two-player, up to four or five people um, role-playing things uh, on our website, escapethispodcast.com, in every, or on any p- podcast player. The show notes have links to full descriptions of the room that we run, so you can uh, play as Game Master and run it yourself. Uh, so if that seems like something that interests you, if you don't want to listen to the show, you can still download our rooms and play them and, and have a fun game to play for free. Uh, we're on Twitter. We're at Esk this podcast uh you can send we, we, you can we have an email which is escape this pod uh and we're on facebook escape this podcast on facebook oh and instagram too we're kind of everywhere um but uh yeah look uh come give us a listen there's there's lots of places you can start with we have connected arcs if you want to listen to our most recent descent of the culloden's it's 10 rooms in a row they're all connected uh or just pick any episode to start with from uh that's standalone uh they're all pretty good so hopefully you'll find one that you like yeah, I mean, thank you, and thank you so much for doing the show. This was a delight. I really enjoyed um, it. I loved it. And now I'm going to throw it over to me in the future so that he can wrap up with the show. Take it, future me. Thanks, Fast Me, and thanks again to Bill for coming on to the show. That was, dang, that was cool. What a cool game and story. It was great. I loved it. Be sure to follow Escape This Podcast at ESC This Podcast on Twitter. Head to EscapeThisPodcast.com to check out the podcast, and of course... Help back and make Bleak Spirit a reality. It is a cool game. I cannot wait to play it more and own it and see it come to life. Check the show notes for that. If you enjoyed the show, follow us on Twitter at Party of One Pod. Then like the show on Facebook at facebook.com slash Party of One Podcast. Give the show a nice five-star iTunes review if you're feeling charitable. Or perhaps a social media shout-out to a friend or word-of-mouth recommendation. All of those things help us do bigger, better, and cooler things. Such as live shows, including the one that we're doing July 20th. It's 5.30 p.m. at Tattooed Moms in Philadelphia. It's going to be a great show, and I hope to see you there. You can also directly support the podcast, as well as all the other cool stuff that I've got going on at patreon.com slash jeffstormer. Uh, And speaking of stuff that you could be supporting, uh, speaking of things that are cool and that I work on that I'm proud of, let me tell you about a podcast called All My Fantasy Children. All My Fantasy Children is a character creation, storytelling, and world-building podcast powered by you. Every week, my best friend, Aaron Catano Saez, and I take a listener-submitted prompt, and we spin it into an original fantasy character, populating a shared universe one story at a time. New episodes drop every Friday at allmyfantasychildren.com. Party of One is produced and edited, as always, by Jeff Stormer and Jen Frank. All music for the show comes from the song Infinite Lives by Megaran featuring the D&D Sluggers. If you'd like to inquire about advertising rates or about coming on to the show, you can email us at partyofonepodcast at gmail.com. And that's it for me. Until next time, thank you so much for listening. Remember to fight the forces of fascism every single day. Remember that self-love and self-care are radical and defiant acts of resistance. And as always, party on, everybody. 